Hey everybody, it's comedian Trent McClellan and you're listening to my podcast called The Generators. Every single week I have a cool guest and we talk about uh, life, professions, creativity, success, failure, and all sorts of other cool stuff. In every single one of these conversations I learn a great deal and I'm pretty sure you're going to learn a great deal too. So uh, hang on tight and thanks for listening to The Generators. Everybody, how are you? It's Trent McClellan, and this is episode four of the Generators podcast. How was your weekend? Was it good? It's funny I'm asking you that because I'm actually recording this before the weekend even happens because I'm going to be traveling and I won't have a chance to do it. So that's how much I care about you, the listener out there. I'm like, why don't I pre-record it so it's ready to drop for Monday? So I got to ask you questions in the future about what you're going to do in the past. That's how that's how forward thinking I am. So I hope you had a good weekend, even though it hasn't happened yet. But by the time you're listening to this, it has happened. Do you understand? I hope it was a good weekend. I'm actually recording this on a Wednesday night. And I head to Labrador City tomorrow, which is the Thursday. And my show is on Friday, but it takes so long to get there. I got to leave the day before and um, get myself there. And then I'm in Goose Bay on the Saturday night. So I'll be able to give you a recap of all four shows, the ones in Edmonton and Grand Prairie, uh, the following Monday. See how that's going to work? There you go. So I'm kind of excited to get back on the road again and do uh, hit some stages. It's going to be exciting. I kind of got... uh, you know, when you're a comedian, you're off the road for a bit. You you get a little antsy, a little itchy again to get back at it. So I'm excited to start the tour. And uh, it's been on the calendar for a while now, so I'm ready to rock and roll. So, uh, yeah, can't wait to get out there. It's a long flight, and I find long flights harder and harder to do just because I'm a big guy. I'm 6'3", and I'm, planes aren't made for dudes who are 6'3". You know, they weren't. I don't think they were 6'3 back in the day. People were uh, tiny, tiny people. I think the actual overhead compartments were for the people. You just you stay up there. That's where you just tuck away one of those things, and uh, the flight attendant would open it up and let you out, and you'd go on to your next town. And uh, I think that's how it worked. But uh, when you're 6'3", traveling on flights and on planes for six, seven hours, it's um, you don't feel great. You don't feel great afterwards. But... Uh, that's a, that's a small complaint, huh? To do what you love and follow uh, your dreams. Um, what else is going on? I um, was at a really cool fundraiser um, earlier this week, and um, it was Brian Burke's Targets for Kids. I don't think I mentioned that last week, and it was uh, super cool. There was... Um, all sorts of folks there, and 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 they were hanging out, and people from the Flames organization, Glenn Goldson, the coach, and there's uh, former Flames there, Robin Regeer, Rhett Warner, 
Uh, Brian Burke was there. People were really cool. It was chilled and relaxed. And uh, it's my first time actually shooting a gun, believe it or not. And um, I gotta admit, I kind of enjoyed it a little bit. You know, it was uh, had a little bit of a fear of guns before, but uh, in that environment, it was a lot of fun. And you learn real quick. The, the instructors were really good and gave me some great tips. And I actually kind of got better as the day went on. I think I was three for twenty-five in the first round of uh, skeet shooting. And in the second round, I think I hit 13, so I improved quite a bit. I was waiting way too long, way too long. I was overthinking it, and you just got to read it and react. Just boom, boom, you know? So, um, yeah, it was a really enjoyable day. Weather was awesome. It was a lot of fun. So I, I really, really enjoyed it, and I think uh, they raised a ton of money for uh, Kid Sport, which is uh, an awesome program that um, helps kids who uh, who can't get involved in sports due to, to financial limitations it helps them get uh outfitted and and into sports so it's a it's a really really cool cool uh charity and i met the people that that run it as well really cool people so it was a great day overall it was fantastic and um yeah my guest this week on the generators is mr eric francis eric uh refers to himself as a broadcaster this guy wears a lot of hats he's doing stuff for newspapers and in print he's got stuff on the net he does stuff for hockey night canada and sports net he's on the radio on the fan and um covers the flames and i i always thought he'd be a cool dude to talk to because he's uh he's a pretty straight shooter and i've always wondered what it's like to be a sports broadcaster or journalist like what is that world like so um, I asked him some questions that I think maybe you at home would also ask a sports journalist what it's really like to be covering a pro- professional sports team. And uh, he was really honest and frank with his answers. And we, we had a great chat. <clears throat> We'd only met once before briefly at a charity event. But, uh, again, um, he was gracious with his time. And we, we went down to um, a restaurant called Original Joe's down in Kensington here in Calgary. So big thanks to Troy, the um, the owner of that place, for letting us hang there for the day and hooking us up. Uh, we really appreciate it. And I uh, had a really cool talk. And, you know, Eric gives me his his honest opinion about what he thought of Jerome McGinley as a leader. And I think you'd be interested to hear that. Uh, we also talk a little bit about, I was wondering what it's like when you're a journalist and you do a piece where maybe you rip a player uh, and then you got to go in the next day and interview that guy again or he's in the scrum you know like in the dressing room and he he's read that piece and he knows you ripped him and now you got to see him the next day i'm like how does that go down i've always wondered wondered about that so i asked eric about that and his answer is really really cool um and also we talk a lot about opportunities and about how life is very unpredictable so uh, a couple a couple of stories that I know we've talked about before, a couple of stories that I've talked about before on the podcast, uh, the Morgan Freeman story about keeping your feet moving, that one comes up in this one, and um, and also just kind of connecting the dots, uh, that one comes up in this one, and Barry Katz's story as well about, uh, you know, timelines and how they're kind of useless, so that comes again, but it's interesting that these same threads come up time and time again, uh, regardless of kind of who you're talking to, you know, it's like... There's some plug-and-play stuff just about life and career. And um, that kind of, uh, I think, kind of acts as somewhat of a roadmap in a way in terms of kind of how to wire your mind with regards to uh, your career, your life in general. You know, that there's not necessarily a timeline. It's just about putting your head down and working hard. And and Eric's clearly done that. 
And uh, yeah, it was a really cool talk, man. I got to say, he was uh, really frank, very honest. And, and again, it's another one of these talks that I think probably could have went on for a few hours. And uh, we had a we had a great uh, we had a great time. So I think you're going to learn a ton uh, in this one. Um, again, Eric talks a lot about uh, what it's like to be a journalist these days and how it's kind of changed. Uh, over the last number of years, you know, his role and his job and how things are a little bit different than what they used to be. So, um, yeah, anybody out there who's ever wondered about this line of work, this one's for you. And uh, anybody who's a sports fan as well, I think you'll you'll really enjoy this one. So, yeah, I hope you're good. I hope you had a great weekend, even though it really hasn't happened yet. But you know what I mean? I already explained it. And, uh, yeah, I'm going to be on a plane tomorrow all day. So uh, traveling across the country so I can go sling some jokes in Labrador City and Goose Bay. And, uh, yeah, I hope this finds you well. Enjoy it and uh, sit back, relax, and enjoy my conversation with Mr. Eric Francis. Shining down, good luck. Baby, got them open all over town. Strictly bitch, you don't play around. Cover much ground, got game by the town. Getting paid is a forte each and every day. Testing one, two, three, four. Awesome, wicked. Here with uh, Eric Francis. Eric, thanks for doing. Thanks for doing the generators, man. I appreciate it. Oh, I'm, I'm flattered that you thought to, to want to talk to me. That's not what you said earlier, but that's fine. Uh, sure. How was your meal? We're sitting here at Original Joe's. Nice of you, by the way, to to agree to go to a restaurant that you don't own. That's uh, <laughs> you didn't have to. You didn't have to do that. You could yeah. be like, nope, I only go to Dang. the Beltliner. Well, you told me you were going to pay for the meal, so I figured, okay, what do I got to lose? Whatever. I said, wear your sneakers in case we got to run out of here. So uh, <laughs> we're going to smash a glass and make a bolt for the door here in a second. Um, what was? What would? You, what's your title? What do you go by? Is it? What's? What's the proper etiquette to refer to someone who has a profession such as yours? Uh, it's funny you ask that because just the other day when I was going through. Border control, uh, going to the states, and they say he says, "What do you do for a living?" I have a lot of different titles, yeah, and I don't want to get bogged down in any of them. I'm just, I just <laughs> say broadcaster now. That's what you just say, broadcaster. Yeah, I'm a broadcaster. Broader, yeah, uh, broadcaster journalist. I mean, I think journalist is a. Uh, it's funny in society. It sounds like broadcasters. I think people think that's maybe a little more impressive. Yeah, I mean, maybe I'm gu- I'm guessing. Uh, yeah. Whereas I think journalist should be the one that should be the more impressive one, but. With yep. the death of newspapers and basically all of journalism around us, yeah. Uh, thanks to Donald Trump and so many other things going on in the world, and newspapers just collapsing. I, I feel like journalism is dying, and uh, I'm not even sure I want to be associated with the craft anymore. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, I don't know. It's all muddied up. I don't know what the hell it is. How long have you been doing this now, broadcasting? Well, how long has this been for you? Uh, 23 years. Oh, really? 23 years I've been a columnist uh, with Post Media, you know, the Calgary Sun, Calgary Herald. Um, and then uh, broadcasting started, you know, seven or eight years after that. Yeah. Um, I did Hockey Night in Canada. I don't know how many years ago that was. Six years ago now. Doing Sportsnet since then, too. I, you know, the broadcasting came and went. And then I had a morning show in town, too. So that, that's a broadcasting element, yep. too, that's not uh, that, you know. I wear so many different hats. And, you know, at the end of the day, I talk about sports, whether I'm writing it or if I'm in front of a camera or right. I'm, I'm behind a microphone doing something like this or, or uh, you know, doing a radio hit. 
I just love talking sports, man. Yeah, so I mean, it works for you either way. Yeah, a lot of people. I, I know my buddies always say I'd kill to do what you do <laughs> um, because they do it anyway. Right. And they don't get paid for it. Um, when I look at it that way, I go, yeah, I guess it is pretty good. Yeah, for sure. Oh, man, I, I, I thought the same thing about your job. Actually, I'm like, you're just watching sports all the time, getting to give your feedback, talk to some interesting athletes and stories and coaches. I mean, it's a pretty unique thing. But I get the same thing about my job. People go, oh, I'd love to just see the world and travel and tell jokes and stuff. But like anything else, there's a downside to whatever profession you have. I mean, there's a, there's a price to pay in that regard. So, like, with regards to what you do, what would you say is a sacrifice that most folks wouldn't be aware of? They'd uh, say, like, oh, I didn't realize that was that would be a challenge. I, that's a great question. I, I'll tell you, and it's an easy answer for me. Um, I was in Nashville last week as a fan. I was there 100% as a fan. I got to drink beer, scream my head off, cheer when the home team scored, boo when the other team got you know a lucky goal. I, when a game is on the line or a big win by the home team, I'm never cheering. I don't care who wins any sporting event I ever watch. I'm always looking for a good story. That's right. all I care about. And I hope it's not right on deadline. <laughs> so I hate overtime. Right. But as a fan, you love overtime. Yeah. As a fan, you want the home team to win. All that's been taken away from me. As a journalist, I could care less if the Calgary Flames win a game ever. I just need a good story. That's all I want. I want to entertain people through my column. And if there's a good entertaining game, then maybe I can try and squeeze a little bit out of that into print or onto TV or whatever the case is. So you people ask me all the time, well, who, who's your favorite team? What's your favorite team? I say Hartford Whalers. And I swear to God, I'm not lying. That's the last team I ever cheered for in my life. Really? Because I wasn't in the business when the Hartford Whalers were around. I grew right. up a Hartford Whalers fan. And I think it also stemmed from I always loved the underdog. Since right. I was a little kid, I loved the underdog. Hartford Whalers, who the hell ever cheered for them? Right. Unless you, you played on the team, you never even cared. Right. That's right. So, yeah, you know, I'm robbed of, of being a fan at times. Yeah. So that's why it's important when I do have some downtime to go as a fan yeah. and rekindle my – just remind myself of why I got into this business and why I love sports so much. Yeah, yeah, you're right. You, you just can look at it from that third eye now, kind of just enjoyment-wise, as opposed to, like, critically, i got to get something done. i got work behind this. i got to get – you know, there's a, bigger, a job. bigger picture. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, I look at your job, and I say, like, I've always dreamt of being having the, the balls to go out and – try to make people laugh on a stage and right. it terrifies me so I, I i kudos to you for having the guts or any comedian to, to give that a shot but you know we probably yeah everyone probably thinks it's all fancy and you travel around the world well yeah you're staying in motel eights a lot of times and uh you got gigs that aren't working out so well sometimes and yeah. there's a downside to all you know pretty much every job in the world yeah and i said this on another podcast <clears throat> that whole saying about you know do what you love you'll never work a day in your life and yeah. like, what bullshit that is like, yeah. do you know what i mean <laughs> you mean i mean i don't care who it is whether it's a professional athlete like there's yeah. a price like yes. there's getting yourself in shape staying in shape i mean there's injuries to come back from there's people who are married and they're away from their wives for half the year yeah, and they got kids groupies you groupies they oh, annoy you you know there's groupies. all these women want to sleep with you constantly and sleep with you. so the many money things. you got to deal with the yeah. money aspect yeah. of we them. get that as journalists too like a lot of groupies, groupies a lot of money yeah. a lot there, of money did you write Newspapers. that column did you write that column yeah that'd be a good story <laughs> be my last column i always say i always wonder what i'm going to write on my last column but Given the state of uh, newspapers, my, my last call might be today. <laughs> so I, I got to write something fancy soon. Something cool. So, you, I mean, that's a good point. Let's get into that a little bit. Like you, when you started all those years ago, to me it seems like uh, anyone who reported sports, it seemed like here was kind of the facts of the story. This was the score. This is what happened injury-wise. These are the penalties. It was kind of just facts, kind of like what news was back in the day, you know, what journalists would do. And now it's become more opinion-based 
Um, I think like that's a big. But back in the day, I think only Don Cherry was the only guy who gave his opinion about something. People uh, were all their feathers all ruffled about it because like, who's this guy? He's not talking X's and O's. He's talking about whatever. So, what kind of transformation have you seen in the industry with regards to kind of how how that work is done now? Well, it's okay. So I've been lucky because I've been a columnist for the better part of two decades. So that means they want my opinion. You know, like I'm right. paid for my opinion. I don't. I'm not. I don't have the ability to sugarcoat things. Anyone who's ever read me or saw seen me on TV, I, I I wish I had the ability to kind of pussyfoot around the issue. I'm very direct and very abrupt, and there are a lot of people who hate my guts for it. That's okay with me. That's that's never bothered me. The criticism and all that. But the thing now with with the death of newspapers and 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 even just quality journalism, because so many people are getting laid off and. The business model doesn't work anymore for trad- traditional media. So now everybody's a journalist. You know, right. at bloggers or anyone on social media is a journalist in their mind. And um, the, the key to that is really to be entertaining. Um, that's really the most important thing for a lot of people is entertainment. Otherwise, no one's going to re- want to read you or watch you if you're not right. entertaining. Problem is, a lot of people do that at the, uh, at the sacrifice of facts. Right. And... I'll go off on a little tangent here because I always I like this soapbox. My biggest fear with, with the death of journalism is people don't know their news source anymore. Uh, if I asked you, hey, you read about the, the Manchester massacre. I don't want to bring up something terrible, but any issue in the news, where'd you read about that? You'd say, I don't know, on my phone. Right. Well, no, I mean the source. Like, did that come from the UK Telegraph? Did that come from CNN? Did it come from CBC? Nobody knows. Nobody knows anymore, and people don't pay attention to where they get their news, and that really concerns me. It used to be you knew if you read it in the paper, you're pretty darn sure that it had been vetted by professional journalists right. and by an editor and an owner of a newspaper who doesn't want to get sued for fake news. Like, there, there's a vetting process. Right. A lot of places where you get your news now, there's no vetting whatsoever. It's just somebody writing it and putting it out on the, in the Internet, and, and that's where things get sideways. And right. That's where the death of journalism journalism really bothers me because as someone who's a trained journalist and really takes a lot of pride in my craft, my craft is getting the shit beat out of it right now right. on a daily basis from Donald Trump and, and from from everyone. I mean, yeah. no one's buying papers. No one's consuming our product like they used to. So yeah. thank you for letting me rant. <laughs> All right, get down. Get off the box. Yeah. Uh, don't hurt yourself. <laughs> um, it's funny because I, I see a lot of parallels with stand-up in a way because – Back in the day, in the 80s, when you had that stand-up comedy boom, the only people that were really trying to be funny were comedians, you know? And now you have social media, you have Twitter, you have Facebook, you have all these things, and everyone's trying to be funny, and everyone's got to comment on this thing that just happened. And they're writing things in real time. So while the Grammy Awards are happening, people are making fun of so-and-so's dress. Whereas back in the day, that would have been left up to a comedian weeks later yes. to go on a show and go, ah, I saw Beyonce's dress. You know what I mean? Like, it was left up to us. But now everyone's in the pool trying to swim. Everyone's like, oh, I can do that. And do you, find, do you find a lot of your material, like, people are like, yeah, I already, I've already heard a joke, like, yeah. or 20 of those it's about a race. Beyonce's jo- uh, yeah. dress. Yeah, it's a race because you're now, you it's now know you, the angle you were going to take or similar. Someone's already had that as a hashtag on Twitter right yes. now. You're like, 
That would have been unique to me and my perspective, and I would have done the work, and I would have now go perform it live, whereas someone can go, yeah, that's a meme someone sent me on Facebook. And you're like, oh, okay, well, I guess I can't do that because it's going to be considered hack. So it's also infiltrated my world where I feel like there was just a select few of us that we did what we did, and now everyone's like, yeah, I can do that. And I think in your world, the same thing. It's like, yeah, well, I'll just, I'll just put this out there as news Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, well, and people will treat it as such. That's the real scary thing about what you're saying is people see it as equal. They really do see it yeah. as equal. Yeah. You know, or so-and-so is really funny. It's like, yeah, but they're not, a, they're not a comedian. It's like just some guy who sits around writing funny comments about you know, the world in general. Yeah. So it's affected everybody, I think. I used to write a column every week called Monday Mouthings, and it was probably the, 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 col- the column I got the most comments on throughout my career. And it was every Monday. It was kind of like a Monday morning quarterback just on what happened over the last week. Yep. And it was mostly one-liners, kind of making fun of, of this player or that incident. Or, but I, I stopped writing it about five years ago because that's Twitter. Right. Yeah. Twitter has taken over my Monday Mouthings column. And I'm thinking, okay, so a week late, if I write a comment about David Beckham and something weird that he did, right? Well, it's already been written 100 times on Twitter. And so I stopped doing that. So yeah. anyway, I, I, see where I see exactly what you're talking about. It's the same thing. And it's like... It is scary that people don't consider where they get their news from. Like, I've had people, I know you've had this, people who share something on Facebook, and I'm like, that's an Onion article. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. that's a satirical newspaper. And they're like, Trump's did it again. Can you believe this? It's like, did you even click that and read it? Like, you're yeah. just sharing it because it goes with the state of mind you're already in, and it supports the opinion you already have. You didn't even click to see who it was or see, no. oh, this is, this is a spoof. That's, that's, that's where we are right now. People don't care. Really exactly. Don't. And and my last little rant on the, on the death of journalism is that people now lo- no longer go to the newspaper for news, which used to be the most credible source. People now go to where they hear what they want to hear. Yes. So you're a Trump supporter. You're going to watch Fox TV. Yeah. You hate Trump. Like most of us, you watch CNN. Uh, you know, like it's it's pretty cut and dry. You want it. You want sunshine and lollipops all the time about the Calgary Flames and how great their fourth line is and how they're the best prospects in the league, go to flames.com. Yeah. They'll tell you all those sunshiny things every single day. Yeah. You want to know what's really going on? Yeah. Read me. Yeah, yeah. Or read, read a columnist in a newspaper. Yeah. But, but people like me are dying off. Yeah, yeah. Because we're getting killed off because we're all getting bought out. And yeah, yeah. It's, I may be bought out tomorrow. Yeah, you don't know. I mean, it's a different so, world. So it's, yeah. it's, it is a scary, scary thing. It, it's... Uh, because they say that kind of matches with like primal behavior. Feels like we just walked, got party walked in on us here. But um, it's the groupies. It's the groupies the again. Groupies like, are here. Eric Francis is here. Yeah. Um, but they say that it kind of suits human behavior more so because when we were trying to survive, running around with dinosaurs, you had to assess danger really quickly. So then you assessed that something was dangerous quickly, and then you looked for more evidence to support that original belief. You know what I mean? Yeah. So now that's kind of what how people process news is. I already believe this. So what news organization matches up with the beliefs I already yeah. have, and I'm just going to keep flocking to that. Yeah. And if someone challenges that, you call that fake news. So yeah. the other person is fake news. And it's like, of how course. do we get to fake news? Like how yeah. do, That used to be the National Enquirer, right? Like you'd see in the cashier in the stand. They while still you're sell that? I think so. I saw one the other day. Oh, yeah. How are they still in business? Like how have they not been sold? Oh, I would think they'd be thriving more than anybody right now. <laughs> Everyone's true. totally accepting bullshit news. So. Donald Trump abducted by aliens explains all. It's yeah. like I knew it. I yeah. knew it. Yeah, it's um anyway, I in my career I know that I've had to try and I wear so many different hats as I mentioned earlier that 
Well, thank God I did because if I just was a newspaper writer all these years, um, got to be living in fear every day because I'd be worried about losing my job yeah. and my career. But luckily, I've got other things going on. Now so. it's green light. Yeah, it's um, it's an interesting thing. So when you're looking at a, a, a game's going on, what jump? What are you looking for in terms of a storyline? What to you is like that? That's something that I can pull. Like for me as a comedian, people often say, "Well, something, nothing funny happened to me today, so I could never be a comedian." But I don't look at life like that. I look at it as though something's sparks my curiosity or makes me annoyed or angry and I know there's going to be comedy in there if I spend time with it yeah but that's the little flag that goes off for me and I go okay I'm going to spend time with that later and I'll find something but for you you know as a journalist you're looking for a story or an angle what are the things that are jumping out for you what are you looking for you know I have two things in my mind when I'm writing off of a hockey game for example um what are people going to be talking about tomorrow or more to the point, what I kind of focus on are what should they be talking about tomorrow? Right. And I try to shape or respond to those. Right. So, to me, the Flames could win a game 6-5 um, or lose 8 nothing, whatever the case may be. But if Sam Bennett fought in the first period and beat the crap out of someone and Sam Bennett's never fought in his life, that to me is what I'm writing my column about. Right. Um, that's an obscure uh, example, but I, everybody... You almost have to. There used to be a rule in our business. Of course, high up in the story, you needed to have the score of the game right. in your story. Now I write entire columns off of a game, and I don't even put the score in. It doesn't even occur to me to put the score in because I know everybody's seen the game on TV or watched the highlights on their phone or their computer in the morning right. or at night or, you know, or they read a story across on the other side of the page or on the front page of the paper. God, God bless them if they were reading the paper. They saw the score in big, bold, you know. Right. Everyone knows the score now. That's saturated. Tell me something I didn't see on TV. Right. That's my goal every time I write a column now. Yeah. And when I'm doing the TV broadcast for the Flames games, I'm trying to tell people things that they can't see on TV or that I can see in the stadium that they can't see while watching on TV. Right. I'll try to tell them about the mood uh, in the building or about uh, something I saw in the halls or, you know, stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's interesting because I think there's a real trend towards that now as well, I find in all levels of entertainment is that peek behind the curtain. It's like when DVDs have the, the extra features or kind of here's the making of and whatever. People mm-hmm. love that inside look of like, oh, man, I don't get to see that on a daily basis. Yeah. So that's kind of the angle that you're coming from that you want to kind of show people. You would never know this, but here's what was said in between whatever, in between periods or whatever. That's kind of that angle. Well, that's the thing. I, I have access to the dressing room after a game, for example, which, of course, you know, all the readers don't have that access. Right. So to me... What happens in, and is what it, and what's said in that dressing room to me is more important than what happened on the ice. Right. They saw what happened on the ice, but I want to hear the reaction as to what they were thinking or why they did that or, or what their reaction was when someone else did something. Yep. That to me is the insight. It's all about insight to me because yep. every blogger in the world, every social media guy, every everyone on Twitter, or they they are all able to comment on what they saw on TV. Right. I have to give them something different. Yeah. Otherwise, why would anyone employ me yeah. if I'm just providing the same shit that everybody else is writing on social media? Exactly. What's the point? It's already been saturated. It's already been done. Yeah. Um, and I, it's funny, again, because there's more parallels to stand-up. It's like your job really is selling your opinion. You know what I mean? It's yeah. your take, your angle. And stand-up is the exact same thing. I mean, how many comedians will have jokes about marriage or relationships or, or whatever it is, traffic? But it's like people flock towards... 
you know, comic A, B, or C because they, they like that option. They like that angle. It's what they sell. For you, it's probably, it can be your take, but also your writing style. There's something innate in there that people go, oh, I enjoy Eric's column. I enjoy when he's doing his pieces because they know there's certain things they trust about it. Like, I think in this day and age now, people are looking for trust way more than they've ever they have because it's like you're bombarded with so much shit on a daily basis. Who can you trust? And yeah. that goes from... The restaurant that you really enjoy and a friend recommends and says you got to go check it out because you trust your friend. Mm-hmm. But that same restaurant has a poster up that says we have the greatest steak in town. That's just a poster. That's just background noise to all the other ads you see flooding you. But a friend telling you, big difference. Yeah. You know, so I think people now in this day and age more so than ever are looking for something to trust, something to go that is what it always is at all times, and I'm going to gravitate towards that. I don't know if that makes any sense. Yeah, to you, I, I totally buy into that theory and... Um you know, having covered the Flames for, you know, again, a couple decades, I like think I like to think that people in this city would say, you know, if something ha- – my goal would be this. If something happened to the Flames of any interest or note, whether it's nationally or just locally, let's see what Eric Francis thinks. Right. Or let's see what Eric Francis is reporting. Yeah. That, that to me, is, has always been my goal as a journalist. And that's why I know when I got hired by Hockey Night in Canada to the, do, do the hot stove um, – the producer told me that, and it was the most flattering thing I'd ever heard in my entire career. He said, "You," he says, "whenever anything happens in Calgary, you're the guy that, that we want it, that we look to, to find wow. out what you think about it." And and that's really trust. That's trust. Yeah. That's trust. And you know, I guess that trust comes with time. Yeah. Trust comes with experience, and uh, yeah. And you just hope that over the years, you know, everyone on social media is trying to. I hate the term building a brand because it's so old now. Everybody uses it. Yeah. Now, my mother's a journalist, and she's got a pretty hefty brand. And uh, I've, I've learned from her way before anyone talked about brand, um, the importance of building brand. Yep. And whether you're doing it consciously or not, it's, that's, that's all you've got at the end of the day as a journalist. Yep. Otherwise, people go, I know who this guy is. I have no idea who this guy is. They're probably going to read the guy who they know, even if they hate his guts. Yes. And that's the case with me a lot of times because, <laughs> you know, I, I, like I said, I don't sugarcoat things. Yeah. I've been the most critical guy on the Flames for 20 years. And um, people say to me all the time, you're so negative. You're always critical. You Well, <laughs> no, I'm not always critical. I, I think there are two things that come from that. One is when I do praise them, I think it should mean even more because usually I'm looking, you know, I'm, I can be negative. Yeah. Second thing is. Calgary Flames have had one good season in the last 25 years. When you think about it, I mean, yeah. to be honest, the, the, the organization's really struggled for the bulk of 20 years since, since they won their cup and yep. such, right? And so, you know, you tell me what I should be all sunshine and lollipops about. They've had a lot of problems. Right. So nowadays, I've been pretty darn positive around this team because they are moving in a very positive, you know, direction. Yeah, I agree. So... And now I'm getting accused of being, uh, you know, a shill for the team. Right. Let's say you can't, you can't win. As a no. columnist, you're never going to win. No, no. You just kind of take it and, and, and go. But, again, that's a, sw- a shift, too, when back in the day you were expected just to pump the tires of the team that, you know, you, you were covering. That's way back in the day. Yeah, yeah way That's back. like the 50s, you know? 60s. You ride the trains with the team. Yeah, it's like, Drink hey, with the team. Yeah, yeah. You can't be coming against us if you, you're our guy kind yeah. of thing. But again, that's changed as well. Obviously, over you know a, a, a far greater time. But well, most guys, most guys who cover teams in sports, if you hear them do a radio interview or a TV, TV interview, they'll use the word "we," yeah, as if they just suited up the night before and sweated <laughs> it out. Like that just, just that, 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 to me, when I ever I hear someone talk about "we" when he's talking about the team he covers, 
Zero credibility. Done. Yeah. That is a homer. That is a fan. That yeah. is not a journalist. Right. And there are way too many of those in the business right now. They won't be objective at all. It's going to be they're going to they're going to have a blind spot for no. certain things for sure. And 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 usually those are the guys that be terrified to ever write anything negative about anyone in the room or the team. Yeah. Because they think they're all buddy buddy. Well, they're part of the team. We. Yeah. And I will say it does. I know I've worked with some really good journalists over the years. They're all laid off now, but they they. Sass. They were terrified to write negative things about the team. And I'd say, that's okay. I'll do it. Like, I'm the columnist. You're the beat reporter. Right. you got to be here every day. You need these guys in a lot of ways to be good to you and yep. answer your question. I don't. Right. If I rip a guy and I know he'll never talk to me again, big deal. Right. Big deal. Yeah. But for these guys, I understand. They're human beings. Sometimes you don't want to create rifts and issues and yep. be confrontational. You don't want to go to work and know that. Everyone in your workplace is looking at you and wants to punch you in the face. Right. I don't mind that. Yeah. You're like, I'm, cool. I, I'm a, a rare breed that way. Yeah, like it reminds me of junior high school. It's the same thing. <laughs> yeah. I just uh, go in there and expect to put yeah. a locker and blast just it in the face. Take my beating. <laughs> See, the, the difference being in high school, if you took a beating, you know, that sucked and everything. And it was embarrassing and, and, and you couldn't sue them. See, nowadays, I could, I'd love it if an NHL guy punched me right in the set. face, He'd took out set. a bunch of teeth. <laughs> I'd be set for life. I could get out of this racket. Take up, I, then I'd be a comedian. Yeah, there you go. Try my hand at comedian. I'd be it. And I, well, I'd switch jobs with you, and I'd go down and go, I don't know what that guy's problem was. But <laughs> I, I, you, I know you're minus eight last night, but I thought you had a great game. Yeah. I mean, that's, uh, yeah, that was we, unlucky. That we was gave unlucky. it 110%, didn't we? Yeah, we got, got pucks deep and uh, cycled down low, and a lot of character in this room. A lot of character in this room. Um, but, yeah, you must have had to deal with that a lot. And, again, it, it comes back to your integrity as a journalist, I would imagine, where you got to go, this is my take and I'm going to hold to it. Um, you're going to have to see those guys. And you may blast a player the day before with an article, and now you're in the scrum the next day, and he knows you blasted him and you're making eye contact. What is that situation like as a guy? Because you got to know, are you armoring up as you go in to go, all right, so-and-so might be – a little difficult, or Michael? No, no, not you today. Like, do you, do you get shut out like yeah. that? Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, we have a rule in our business, and again, I don't think that the new—I don't want to say generation of journalists because there aren't many new ones. I mean, they're just not surviving. But in, when I started in the business, I was taught from day one: if you rip someone, you show up the next day. It's just the rule. Right. I've had many, many days in my career where I've ripped someone apart or been very critical of a team or a player or a coach. And it's my day off the next day. And I'm like, ah, oh, why did I do that? Right. Because now I got to go in. I got to go to practice. And you're basically sitting there waiting to get yelled at. Right. That's basically the job description that next day. Right. A lot of guys don't do that. They'll just rip them and you never see them again. And, hey, that's why there's so many tough guys on, on social media. Because they'll rip the flames. They'll rip me. They'll rip anything. Because they don't have to face me or the media. Right. Or the team the next day. They're just an anonymous, you know, Sam Splat 69, yeah. you know, uh, whatever their little yeah. cute name is. They're yeah. hiding behind some fake name. I got to stand behind my name. I got to show up the next day. Um, yeah, there have been some uncomfortable moments. But a lot of times, I'll, I'll say this. I've never had a tough night sleeping thinking, did I go overboard on a guy? Because I believe everything I write. Right. I believe everything I write, and I know that I can back it up. So if he wants to challenge me on it, then I'll just, I know exactly what I'm going to say back to him. Right. And some days, some days, I'm not going to poke, poke the bear. I'm going to let him yell at me, and I'm going to say, I, I totally understand. You, you share, and I appreciate you sharing your thoughts on that. I always say that about this, because going back to when I covered Doug Flutie, just tell me where I stand. That's what I appreciate more than anything else. An athlete will tell, tell me where I stand. You hate my guts, and you're never going to talk to me again? That's fine. Tell me. Right. Um, 
it's the guys who I think are spineless. I have the balls to go and call them out. They don't have the balls to call me out. Right. And uh, those are the, the, that's a very interesting dynamic there, too. Yeah. Um, sometimes it takes time for you to, a month down the road, you're like, oh, I'm going to go talk to this guy. And you forget that you ripped him. Right. And then he'll be like, yeah, man, I don't, I don't think we'll be talking today. And right. you're like, oh, fair enough. I know where you stand. Right. <laughs> now we know. So, took a month, but yeah, I know yeah. where you stand. <laughs> oh, it's about that thing uh, four weeks ago. I get it. Yeah. I get what you're saying. Um, yeah, I've always thought that's interesting because I've always wondered what that's like to go in the next day after ripping some guy. Yeah. And uh, But I think it, it's funny because it's a parallel to it's like the player who hits a guy from behind and injures him, and then the next time they play, it's like, you know you're going to have to answer the bell, right? It's yeah. like, yeah, all right, well, here we go. Like, it's, um, you know, it was, it's happened to the, to the young guy Kachuk when he had to go to L.A., and it's like, here we go. When they played here, it's like, here we go. You know, it's going to go down. And, uh, but he answered the bell. And, uh, but and he wasn't the same player the rest of the year. No, I agree. It really affected him. So, so lesson learned for him. Yeah. And I was pretty critical of, of the way – I, I like the way he handled, you know, handled himself that night. But the fact that he – The media I don't stuff. know. People who are listening probably don't know what I'm talking about. But yeah, he yeah. called out Drew Doughty before their game. First yep. of all, he basically uh, skewered him in the face. Right. And got kicked out. He got kicked out. No, he got a two-minute penalty for that. Yeah, he, he, get kicked out of the he didn't game? get a penalty. I don't think. Oh, he didn't even get a penalty. No, the play continued on. I can't even remember now. Popped him. Yeah, I think. I don't think he got a penalty even for. But it. then, and that was fine. You know, he did that. And he, but, but the next game, before the game, he trash talked him. He poked the bear. Yeah. And that 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 I didn't agree with. That yeah, you I didn't agree. need to do that. And it became a sideshow. And yeah. And the flames. These are for all the hockey fans out there. The Flames don't have that build of, yeah, we want to get into that kind of a war with the other team. That, that fell right in line with what the Kings wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And Ginla had a great night that night and a, a scrap and a fight and whatever. I mean, it was, it was one of those things, but I think the kid learned from it. But uh, let's get into the Flames a little bit because uh, I moved here in 03. I think I told you a little bit earlier before we started. And I've, I've been amazed at the incarnations of this team, like where it's gone from. That Cinderella team that had that magical run in 04 to then now we're just an old team trying to sign free agents and piece together a patchwork thing and we'd scrape in the playoffs and then be out. And then there was the rebuild that we suddenly were going to be in. And then to me, Sean Monaghan kind of changed that whole thing. Because remember when Monaghan was just, well, are we going to send him back to junior or not? And people are like, what are you talking about? Like, this kid's got to stay. He kind of just came out of nowhere, and suddenly the rebuild didn't look as it was going to be as long as we thought it was going to be. But for you, as a guy who's been hands-on with this team, would you agree with that assessment of kind of these incarnations of this team and gone, how did that happen? How did we get – it's a weird how we got to here. Yeah, yeah, and this rebuild has been pretty quick. Yeah. I mean, Monaghan, like you say, I mean, I, when I think people say rebuild, people shudder and think, oh, my God, we're not going to be like Edmonton, are we? Ten years without the playoffs? Right. Well, that's an abnormal attempt at rebuilds. Yes. Um, not done well. That was gross mismanagement and a, m- a bunch of other things. But uh, here, yeah, I think people think at least three years before you're even respectable. Yeah. I remember having lunch one day with Ken Hitchcock, and he kind of thought, he said to me basically, year three of a rebuild, you should be, um, you know, challenging for the playoffs. Year four, you should be making some noise in the playoffs in year five you should be winning a championship wow and that's pretty quick to me and i'm yeah and you know he was in st louis at the time and he all he fell short in st louis of doing that but in years four and five i i know i predicted him to win the stanley cup yeah shows what i know but yeah. they, they didn't they do it the but, door, but but they, they had good teams but yeah the flames right now in my mind are that you know three years into a rebuild where they you know there was no question to me going into next year 
the, the expectation is very simple. We're not questioning whether or not they should make the playoffs. They should make the playoffs. Yes. They should win a round or two next year. Yes. I think they're that far along the chain. Yeah, I do and it'll depend what they do this summer and everything and who, which goalie they get and all that. But yeah. I, I think it's been an accelerated rebuild, and that's very exciting for Flames fans. Oh, it's amazing. I think, I think too, when I think back to those years when it was like, I don't know, 08, 09, whatever, and we were just old and slow, man. Yeah, I, I, just, was, used, I just used we, by the way, so that probably pissed you off. Yeah, we, uh, By we, I mean they no, were you're old. No, you're a yeah. fan. You can say that. Yeah, yeah. I can, I can be on the bandwagon. Oh, yeah. Just, yeah no, yeah. That, that's cool. Uh, but I, uh, <laughs> I remember that. They'd have back-to-back games, and I'm like, there's no way you're winning on that back-to-back that second night. Like that's we're gonna get it handed to us, and that mm-hmm. would happen. And so they went from this old slow team to suddenly it seemed like overnight. Now this quick young core, um, guys can fly up and down the ice. And I was like, it used to be dump it in the corner, and you're hoping David Moss scores 30 goals. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like our hopes were in weird baskets. No. It's like. I don't think that guy's cranking out 30. I don't think that's no. going to happen. But that was your hope and, you know, all that talk preseason about, well, we're hoping for a big season out of uh, – that's like, this, that guy? You're hoping that's – and you knew. Fan, fans knew. That's yeah. never going to happen. Mm-hmm. But that's all the talent we had. There was nothing in the system. There was nothing we were excited about even. And it's it just amazing to me how quickly, within a year or two, how quickly things can change. And suddenly there's there's sunlight and there's a full garden of, of stuff to – Yeah, and there are two, two main reasons. You named Monaghan. Of course, Johnny Gaudreau is another reason why. And um, I think Mark Giordano deserves maybe the most credit. People would probably not look to him, but he changed the culture in that dressing room. He took over from a team with Jerome McGinley. Uh, I'm not sure how great a leader Jerome McGinley was in that room. Um, it, was, it wasn't all for one, one for all. Jerome got his points, and that was important to him. Right. And I'm not saying he was a bad leader. I'm just saying I don't think he was the leader that Mark Giordano would Mark Giordano blocks shots in preseason games with his face. You know, that's that's just who Mark Giordano is. And when your captain is doing that, it's a whole lot easier to convince other guys to fall in line yeah. or shame them into falling in line as opposed to when your captain's not doing the things your coach wants you to do. Yeah. Then other guys are like, well, if the captain's not doing it, why would I do it? Yeah. So, and again, I'm not trying to take a shot at Jerome. No, no. I'm more just trying to show you that when the leadership – when the captaincy went from Jerome to Mark, I thought that was a monumental shift in the history of this organization. Yeah, and he's just such a workhorse, a good guy. I mean, you've interviewed him and been around him a bunch of times, I'm sure. Seems like a pretty genuine guy, and I think is about winning first. I mean, when he had that that amazing run, you know, two years ago, I guess, when he was kind of in the running for the Norris. I mean, that was incredible. And to have that, then to have that torn bicep injury and not be able to play in the playoffs. I mean, I was, I was heartbroken for the guy because it was, it was an incredible run he'd had. They were, they were magical. Like it was, yeah. and, you, and can you root for a better guy? I mean, that's just a guy. He's doing a ton of stuff in the community. I'm like, you, you want that guy and, and not a traditional history to get to the NHL, right? Like he spent some time in the KHL for oh, a while. Yeah. Didn't he? And I yeah. mean, how can no, he's turned into a beast. Yeah. And uh, he's, I don't want to – actually, you can have an interesting debate on whether or not he's the most important player in this franchise. I think most people would point to Goudreau. Yeah. Um, but, but uh, you know, a team is all about piecing together all the different things you need, and leadership's right up there, and Gio brings it. Uh, Monaghan brings it. Uh, Johnny is not a leader in any way, yeah. in my mind. Right. He's a hell of a player. I'm not – you don't have to be a leader to be a great player. No, that's right. So he's just a great player. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I think, I think so too. Though there's, there's a weird transition now for this team where you think you have some of those older players that are still around, and then you have the young stars that are coming through. And do you think there's a kind of a, and maybe it's right now, 
where there's a transitional period where there's kind of a passing of the torch to like this is this is Sean Monahan's team now or Johnny Goudreau's team now, but you still have Gio who's still got some great hockey left in him. But there can be that kind of gap where it's like, well, whose team is this now? Who who is who stands up right now and who does whatever? But I think they've made it work up to this point. But at some point, the key's got to get handed over, and it's like, all right, you know. Yeah, I think it's Johnny. I think it's Johnny and Monty's team right now. Like I think, you know, again, leadership aside, I think everyone looks to those guys. When they were struggling this year, the team struggled. Yeah. When they finally got it back together, this team went and won ten in a row. Right. So, I, I think the. I don't know if I need to say the Flames go as those two go, because uh, that's dangerous when yeah. you're counting on that much from those two guys. But because this year also they had that second line, that Michael Backlund line, the 3M yeah. line, which carried the team at a time when Johnny and Monty were invisible. Yeah. So that's a sign that this team is a contender, you know, to not just make the playoffs but make some noise in the playoffs. I agree. Um, hey, there were some people in my business who predicted the Calgary Flames would be in the Stanley Cup final. Really. Yeah, I I wasn't one of them. I thought I, I think they got the worst draw possible. That's their own fault though for their terrible start. Yep. But they got the worst draw possible when they played a team where they haven't won in Anaheim obviously in 150 years or whatever. Insane. And and also just generally speaking they don't match up well with Anaheim. Yeah. So I thought they were going to lose in the first round they did and that had to do with the opponent. Had they played any almost anybody else I probably would have picked the Calgary Flames to at least win the first series. Yeah, I agree. I, it was such a weird sweep, right, uh, against the Ducks. Closest sweep like, I've ever covered. Un- insane. It was like, because <laughs> I remember watching them when they played them two years ago, and that first game in Anaheim where Jonas Hiller couldn't stop a puck. It either went in or hit the post, and I'm like, we were just overpowered. They were stronger. They were yeah. faster. And then this year I was like, oh, we're playing. And we, and you could tell these guys believe, like, this is our time to knock these guys off now. There's going to be that transition of power, you know? Yeah. And then we just didn't get the goaltending. And it's like, what a time now to not get the goaltending. If we just got a few decent stops, it's like, I think they win that series and they advance. Like, I really think it, it came down to that, you know? Yeah, yeah. But it was such a weird thing. Um, for you now, career-wise, I think, obviously, people love to talk about successes and you know, things work out in your favor, and we all have days where the sun shines on us. But for you, I look at you as kind of more of an entrepreneur, where it's kind of your your job is your thoughts and sharing those out in the world, and people want to hear those or read those. Um, talk about overcoming failure a little bit. Talk about coming overcoming transitions where you're like, wow, am I, am I still doing this? Is this going to be a thing I'm going to continue to do, or am I going to have to step out and do something else? I think everyone in every career, I think at some point, has a time where they're like, Wow, is this the wall? Is this a plateau for me? And is it maybe time to try or, or do something else? Did ever, has that happened for you? You know what? I, I've been, I got bought out at, the, at Jack FM after 13 years of doing a morning show. I mean, they bought out, fired, however you want to call it. Um, but didn't see that really much, as much of a setback because 13 years for a morning show is a pretty That's good bad. run. That's a good run. Um, I got bought out from the newspaper about 10, 12 years ago. Um, but they handed me one envelope with my buyout and uh and that hurt i didn't see that coming at all this is before newspapers started laying off people every week this is you know and then they handed me an envelope says but we want you to start tomorrow as a freelancer so it kind of i don't want to say everything comes up roses for me but i've been so fortunate over my career um that when one door closes there are several other doors that happen to be open right and i don't really know how to explain that other than i just try to work real hard and uh and I do rarely say no to opportunities. Yeah. Um, you know, a morning show, when, when that got, I got asked if I wanted to do a morning show with Matt O'Neill, I was, 
like that was the last thing in the world I ever thought I'd ever do in my life. Right. I said, yeah, I'll try it for six months just to say I did. Well, t- you know, a dozen years later, whatever. So <clears throat> I think you just got to be open-minded. So not to dance around your question, but I, I haven't really experienced deep, horrible setbacks that, you know, whatever setbacks I've had, I've kind of looked at them and said, okay, that's fine. New chapter is opening now. Right. Um, the next chapter, you know, that next setback that's going to come is clearly when one or both of the newspapers in this city uh, go out of business. Right. And, and, and I don't know if that day is ever going to happen. Surely one of them, I, I have no idea. Right. I, it just doesn't look good for newspapers right now. And to be honest, that's the one job I've always wanted to do the most, the one I love the most. My passion is there. I think that of all the gigs I have, I think it's the one I think I do the best. You know, yep. I'm sure other people have other opinions of that. But I'm just holding on and wanting to just keep writing as long as they'll let me write. Right. Um, and when the newspapers fold and I get kicked out, that'll probably be the first time when I'm like, wow, that really hurt. And I don't know what I'm going to do next. Right. But, you know, I've gotten into I own a couple of restaurants in town now, and that's yeah, yeah. a real passion of mine. Um, you know, the TV work is fun. I really enjoy that. Um, so I, I've got other things. And you know what? More than anything else, I'm a dad. i got two young kids, and I love them dearly. And my wife's got a great job. And um, if i if I got to turn into full-time daddy daycare, that'd be awesome too. Yeah, yeah. Um, I spend a lot more time doing that than anything these days anyway. Right. Um, so, and that's, there couldn't be a better gig than that, if you ask me. Yeah, I think... No, that's a good point. And also, I think you're kind of in entertainment just as I am, you know, and it's it's not a nine-to-five gig. It's, it really is a thing where you just kind of put your head down, you work as hard as you can, and you have faith the next opportunity is coming, you know? And I've always said to guys, yeah. you're a phone call or an email away from your world changing, you know, where it's like, Eric, there's an offer for you, or hey, can you do whatever? And, you know, you, you meet people along the way, and this meeting leads to this meeting, and two years later that meeting leads to this, and you end up in this place. Yeah. It's like you can't – it's a Steve Jobs quote that I've mentioned before on the podcast about you can't connect the dots going forward. You only connect them looking backwards. Yeah, good. I like that line. You know, where you go, oh, that's why that didn't work and that didn't work because that led me to here. But we always want a plan going forward. Yeah. And for nine to five people, you know, my wife's a nine to five person, I think she must look at my life or even your life, I'm sure, and go, it's – it's insane because you, you don't know what every week looks like. It's kind of can be all over the place. An email can change your life drastically, you mm-hmm. know, yeah. but it's being having a personality. I think that just goes, Hey, that's what it is. And I enjoy the work and you put your head down and you go. And, you know, I, I think to that point, and I said earlier, I, I rarely say no to things, whether it's uh, you know, like a, a hockey banquet for a midget player, like midget or, yep. or Bantam players, or uh, I've done my share of those or <clears throat> whatever it is. Um, they're all new experiences, and I, I really enjoy talking about what I what I do. I enjoy talking about like the like sports, as I mentioned earlier. But I, I also just think that it's I'm a pretty happy-go-lucky guy, and uh, the more people you meet, I think that's currency. I think the more people you know and make connections with, um, the the big the better your stock is, and the better chance there is that you're going to get other opportunities in life. I agree. Um, so. Uh, I agree. You know, trying new things is always a good idea. Yeah, I guess some people would look at my job or your job and say, God, they, three weeks from now, they don't know if they're going to have a gig. Yeah. Like ever again. I know. And and I, I never look, looked at it that way, but I <laughs> it's true, I guess. Um, but I also look at it as 
well, no, I'll figure something else out. Yeah. There's a faith that you're going to land on your feet regardless, mm-hmm. and you've built enough social capital throughout things that I'll, I'll just figure something out. And I'll say, I, I want to throw this analogy out there because I, I really love this city, and I moved here 23 years ago from, I went to University in Ottawa, I'm originally from Toronto, and I'm a Calgarian. Like, it didn't take long for me to realize I I'm, I'm never want to leave here. And I've had opportunities to go back to Toronto, which is where everything happens in Canadian journalism. Right. And, you know, some people would say, you're an idiot for not taking those. But I, I lifestyle was way more important to me. And I love this city. And he, this is the analogy I always use. Like, I always talk about Calgary as being a good stock tip that I got in early on. That's how I've always looked at it, you know. Yeah. And now, now it's a world-class city. But I don't know if it was 23 years ago when I moved here. Right. I think it was trying. And the Olympics certainly helped before that. Yep. Get us on the map. But um, I, I really think that... I see people come through this city in my business, but also just friends, and they see Calgary as a stepping stone to get back to Toronto or get to Montreal or go to Vancouver. I have no time for those people at all, and I have no time for that attitude. Be where you're at. If you're in this city, make the most of it. Enjoy it. You never know. What's the worst that could happen? You could fall in love with it, and that's what happened to me. Yeah. I never came here thinking, uh, yeah, this little worn horse town, I'm going to leave here as soon as I get a chance. I came here thinking... Let's see what this city has to offer. Right. And that's how I look at my career. Let's see what, 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 what could be offered up next. Because yeah. I might jump at it. As long as it's still in this city, I love it. So yeah. I like when people come here open-minded. I like when people's careers are open-minded, have open-mindedness. Because it can lead you to crazy places. Yeah, I agree. I feel like I was the same way. I moved here from Newfoundland probably 14 years ago. I came here with like open-minded to kind of see what's going what's gonna to happen. And as a comedian, same thing. People go, oh, move to Toronto, move to Toronto. That's yeah. where all the clubs are. That's where all the agents are, all those things. And I felt, but I, I have everything I need here. I have three full-time comedy clubs, a bunch of open mics. I have a lot of things that uh, I love about this place. It's got an airport. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> if I got to get to a gig, I can fly there. Yeah. So I was like... You know, you can look around, and I think there's a lot of people. It's like the people who buy a new house every three years, you know. They think that the house is the problem. Yeah. It's like, no, no, you're the fucking problem. Do yeah. you know what I mean? Like, you yeah. have to rewire your mind and appreciate and be grateful for the things that you do have that are yeah. right underneath you. And Calgary's got a ton of those things. And, and same thing for me. In 14 years, I've watched this whole the city transform as well into one of the best cities in the world, in my mind. And I've traveled quite a bit. But um, I think you're right. It, it's, it's about full buy-in where you are right now in your life that, that, that that's a great way like that's the summation of it buy-in if yeah. you're just going through the motions or you're waiting for a better opportunity i guarantee it's never going to come around no because you need to put everything into what you got and 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 then things come to you good things come to you yes i i carried in my wallet i was one of these kids as, uh, as a kid i used to read those quote books yep you know, like Winston Churchill and so- Socrates and like who, just famous quotes to me. When you can sum up a, a, something in like one sentence, it, there's a brilliance to that. Yep. And I, I, I really I can't do that it, like a lot of people can't like these great orators could. So I carried in my wallet for, I don't know, 20 years, like from my when I was about 12, 13 opportunity. Uh, luck is when opportunity meets preparation. And I stopped carrying a wallet about 10, 12 years ago. And uh, I didn't like the way it made my ass look. You know, it was too, <laughs> too big. Not because I had money in it. Just no, no. It, all the credit cards. You could have bought a second wallet and put it in the other pocket. That's a good even point. Because the know big I mean? ass is big right now People with love the youngsters, right? People love a big ass. So maybe I'll go back to it. But yeah. I, I, about 10 years ago, decided I didn't like that look. I didn't like that feel. 
stop carrying a wallet. Swear to God, God's honest truth. Four years ago, I moved from my house to a new house. And in the midst of the move, I don't even know that piece of paper that I carried around for almost 20 years. Opportunity or luck is when opportunity meets preparation uh, was on the floor of my garage. I have no idea what it fell out of, how it fell out, how it got there. It was like one of the most surreal moments of my life. It was like as if, and I don't, I'm not religious, but yeah, it's yeah. almost as if like some God just decided put that there to just remind you how you got everything in your life. Yeah. Because I consider myself, this is an odd thing to say, I consider myself the luckiest person that I know. Like I look at all different friends and I, I feel like I'm the most, the luckiest person. And I'm not, that's not cliche. Like I feel like things have happened in my life that are so lucky, but it's because of preparation yep. and because of opportunity. Yeah. And so when that piece of paper was there on the ground, Blew my mind. Yeah, that 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 is a bit of fate. Blew my mind. Do you remember those actors' studio interviews with James Lipton? Yeah. back in the day. I used to watch those for motivation, and there was one with um, with Morgan Freeman. And so this guy, student, stands up and he asks Morgan Freeman, like, he says, "You weren't always Morgan Freeman. You were a young guy trying to make your way in acting. What advice do you have for us as new actors?" And he said. He goes, I had rough times where I, I didn't have enough money to pay my rent, and there was times I wanted to throw in the towel. He goes, and then suddenly someone would go, hey, here's a, a small bit roll in this thing that we're making. He goes, and that would be the carrot to keep dangling me along. And he goes, I knew, I learned after a while, you just got to keep dancing. You got to keep moving your feet. He goes, people will always give you an opportunity if you keep moving your feet and you keep working. He goes, but the minute you go, it's over, it's over. Yeah. The minute you quit then no one's coming with anything because it's like, well, you're, you're out, right? Like there's just something in the universe. I'm not an overly religious guy either, but I, I do believe sometimes when you just create a momentum for yourself through work and repetition and working hard, there will be an opportunity. Something will happen, but it never ever happens during your timeline normally. And it's going to happen yeah. at a, like a, your phone could go off now and something could happen. That's just the way it works. But it's so easy to get down and go, ah, oh, I thought I would be here by the end of the year. Well, you're not. Now, no. what, what, what are you going to do now? No. Right? You put your head down and you work. And I've always kind of held on to that adage, which is very similar. It's kind of just just enjoy what you're doing, enjoy the process of it, and opportunities are going to come when they come. And, and you and I are lucky because we love what we do. Yes. It's, it's easier for us to say that because we just keep plugging away and doing what we do and working hard at it, and you never know where it's going to lead because we love what we do. Yes. It, I feel like in life, when I go speak to kids like for career week and stuff, whether it's high school or grade school students or even university students, you're so far ahead in this world, I think, when you know what you want to do. Yes. There are people my age, I'm 47, who don't know what they want to do. There are mo- a lot of people go through their whole life never figure out what they want to do. Yep. And I, I, that's unfortunate. I, I'm sad to hear those stories. From age 14, I always just wanted to be a sports writer. My mom said to me, oh, so you want to get paid to go to hockey games? And I'm like, I love the way you put that. <laughs> and I just dedicated the next, like, seven, eight years of my life. To, do, to doing that. Yeah. And when you're preparing for that many years to do something, you're so far ahead of anybody else who's trying to do the same thing on a whim. Yeah. And I, I'll give you one other thing, that story. You're aware of Pierre Maguire? Yep. Broadcaster down in the States now. Years ago, I don't know, 15 years ago, he's living in Montreal, and he was in Calgary for, to broadcast the Flames game, and he says, hey, Eric, and he was a, he's always been a very gracious, good guy to me, and I, I really like him. But yep. He said, Eric, heard you do that interview in, on Montreal radio the other day and I said oh yeah and he goes you did a really good job and I'm like oh thank you that means a lot Pierre thank you very much because I was just a young journalist and I wasn't doing a lot of radio outside of Calgary and um, 
He said, hey, let me ask you, how much did you get paid for that? I said, get paid? No, I, they, I was just flattered they called me and wanted my thoughts on some situation in Calgary. So I did it. He said, listen, Eric, when you do that, you cut everybody else in the business off at the knees because we're a union. And if you start doing everything for free, they're going to be asking me to do everything for free. And that's not the way it works. And why I see, I see some people could buy into that argument, I said, Pierre, with all due respect, A, we're not a union. B, you're Pierre Maguire. They're going to pay you for your opinion because you're Pierre friggin' Maguire. I'm Eric friggin' Francis. I'm nobody. I'm trying to make it in this business. When someone calls me and asks me for my opinion, I'm going to give it to them. And I don't care if they pay me. I did free radio for 20 years. Well, for about 15 years, and I didn't know what it would lead to. Right. But guess what? I got a, haul, a call from uh, Hockey Night in Canada. Hey, we want you to come on and be on the hot stove. That was the payoff. Right. I didn't know when I was going to get paid for those radio interviews or ever. But the point is, I never said no. I kept getting my name out there, marching forward, as you say. Keep your feet moving. Yep. And someone might notice. Yep. And that's uh, a, an example of that. Yep. And then, I, and then I get an opportunity to do a morning show. I'm like, geez, I, I guess all those morning radio spots I did over the years for free right. that Pierre thought was a bad idea right. led to a 13-year morning show run. So don't tell me. Yeah. Don't tell me that uh, if it's if you're not getting paid, it's not worth it. Right. If you love doing it and you think that it's fun and it's moving you forward, do it, man. Well, it's so funny because comedians, when we start, we look at it the opposite of how everyone else looks at a job. Most people, most people, when they go to a job interview, they go, "How much am I going to make?" And B, how often do I not got to be here? They want to know <laughs> yeah, vac- how many weeks vacation do I get? Yeah. Comedians start going, I get to stand up on that stage and make people laugh. I remember when I first started doing stand-up, the office that booked me would call and go, Trent, you have, you have a check over here. And I'm like, oh, shit, I forgot. I forgot to go get paid. Because I, I, I go, I had a blast on the weekend. <laughs> I'm hanging out awesome. with our comics. We're doing beers. I'm, like, doing jokes. And whenever I wrote this new one, it worked. And then, like, yeah, three days later, they're like, yeah, you, your check's been sitting here for – I'm like, oh, that's right. Yeah, we Because you, you're just so engaged in what you're doing. Mm-hmm. And comedians make the same argument about, you know, doing gigs for undercutting or, or doing gigs for free. But we go on stage all the time at open mics just to try material and build an act and try and find that. And – you're not getting paid right now. The payoff is going to be exactly. when Just for Laughs calls or a festival calls or you have a new tour you're doing and you got this new hour of material. So it's all these investments. But I think so many people want what they want now, and they're not willing to extend that timeline and well, go. Well, then they're never going to make it. Yeah, I agree. I and, agree. And, like, you, you go and you do these shows. You never know who's going to see you perform. Uh, the dream probably of it being some big talent agent who spots you and says, I'm taking you to the big time. That doesn't happen doesn't anymore. Happen. But – Start connecting the dots. Some guy who owns a company goes, man, that guy was so funny. I want him at our company picnic. Somebody at that picnic sees you and says, I want him to go and play this comedy club here. And then, and then it leads to you never know where it's going to lead. Yeah. So it's all about baby steps. Yeah, I totally agree. And it's, it comes back to that dot thing, right? It's like about yeah. you can't connect them going that way. You only connect them going the other yeah. way, right? Uh, but it's having that faith that you're doing what you're supposed to do and in the process and enjoying it and, and kind of going for it. There's a great adage that uh, there's, a, there's a manager in, in the U.S. in Hollywood named Barry Katz. He used to manage Dane Cook for years. And he used to say to young comedians, um, you know, would you love it if you were doing sold-out shows around the world? You were considered one of the greatest of all time amongst your peers. You were given the sweet development deal from the networks where you get to write a show, edit it, cast it, star in it. Um, 
You're going to make more money than you've ever dreamed of in your life, all doing what you do as your vision. Would you take that? And these young comedians say, yeah, fuck yeah, I'd take that. And he goes, okay, great. Now, what if I told you it's going to take 20 years? And then people's minds change. They're like, well, 20 years. Because everybody wants what they want now. I think especially now. Yeah. You know, it's like no one wants to wait for anything. It's, it's kind yeah. of, well, there's a timeline I had set out. It didn't happen. And so the place I'm working must be wrong. Or my relationship must be shit. It's like sometimes it just takes time. And it takes, yeah. you know, the fact that you want it now is irrelevant. It's really irrelevant. And it's hard for people. I get it. Like, there's no guarantee in 20 years you're right. going to get all those things that he talked about. No. And that's the hardest thing for people because they don't know if they're ever going to get to where they want to be. Yes. Well, where you should always want to be is just being happy. Yes. And and hopefully that means doing a job you like. Because exactly. if you don't do a job you don't, you like, I can imagine how miserable people's lives are if they don't love what they do. Well, I'm amazed by that mentality. And you see it a lot around is people who go, hey, man, 15 more years of this shit and then I get to retire. Yeah. And I'm like... Oh, my God. That's a crazy mentality for you or I, right? That alarm to go off and you go, oh, Christ, what day is Like, I, I wake up often. I don't know what day it is because all the days are the same to me. Yeah. A weekend, a Friday, a Monday. It's like, I don't have the Mondays. What does the Monday mean to me? It, yeah. It's irrelevant. And I get it because I was that guy. I had normal jobs for a while, and I understand it. But I would, I would suggest this, that I think everyone knows what they want to do deep down if they're honest with themselves but there's a fear there there's a fear of failing a fear of not knowing how to go about it and so i was that way probably with stand-up i think deep down i always want to be a comedian but i lived in an area where there were no comedy clubs you can always find excuses to yeah. not follow your gut yeah you know no one else is doing it uh, i don't know anyone who does it uh and you just there's this concept called drift which means you just kind of go with the flow where everyone else is going. Mm -hmm. You know you're supposed to swim that way deep down, but you just go with the flow. Everyone's going to go work in this mill. It's good money in yeah. the mill. You know, yeah. you get a good pension at the mill. And, and that was my hometown, you know. And so, but deep down, I was like, I, oh, my God, I, I would never be able to do that. I just know. I don't know what I'm going to do, but I know I don't want to do that. And, yeah. but I think, and so I do feel bad for people who haven't found whatever that passion is. And my advice to people is always, don't worry about quitting your job tomorrow and going to follow this passion or curiosity. Just tiptoe into it. Like, yeah, exactly. You know, if you want to be a painter, you don't have to just quit your job tomorrow and just, I mean, open up a gallery. It's like, just paint as much as you can and enjoy exactly. it. And then who knows, in five years, someone buys one of your paintings, it's on a wall, someone else asks, and momentum snowballs. But shutting that side of you down and just, I'm going to stay with the pack and just do what everyone else is doing. Yeah. To me, it's, it's death. It really is I death. mean, I think you can follow the pack, but also, like you say, tip your toe. To dip your toe at the same time. Yes. So, you know, it's... No, I... In my business, the only way to get experience, if you're not in the business, but so many people want to get into it, they say, well, you're going to have to volunteer. Yeah. You have to do it for free for a number of years. Yeah. Just to get noticed. So start your, blog, yeah. start your blog so that you have something to show someone who might eventually want to pay you $50 an article. Yeah. And, you know, the, the biggest thing I look back at my life... If you'd have said to me, okay, you're going to be a sports columnist for 25 years, I never thought of, I never in my life thought about the money part of it. I never, I look back at it now and it amazes me because I like money. You do too. Yeah, yeah. A lot of us do. Um, I never fathomed, I never worried about money. But if you, someone told you, yeah, you'll be a columnist for 25 years, I would think, yeah, well, geez, probably won't be making much money then. Right. Yeah. Not even that's before even I knew newspapers were going to die. Right. But um, the money took care of itself. Yeah. So that's what I'm saying. I never once thought about how am I going to get rich? 
I just thought about how am I going to get to do this job that I love to do every day? Yeah. And suddenly the money followed. It was that. a side effect. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a, it, call it luck. Yeah. But the preparation met the opportunity and yeah. And the money followed. We sound like the two, uh, the two annoying motivational guys. Yeah, are Tony like, Robbins. Guys, follow your dream and the money will come. It's yeah. like, let me tell you something, mister. I've worked at a coal mine for 40 years. Let me tell you something about dreams. <laughs> I haven't had a clean breath of air in um, it's so true. I, I often get, I can find myself getting preachy like that sometimes. We, I'm like, we, we don't I don't reel be, it in. Yeah. We don't have to be preachy. No, no, no. But, I, I'm, but I'm we're joking. just talking about our experience. Mm-hmm. And they're similar in, in that way, which is just tiptoe along and you never know where you're going to get. Exactly. Um, I want to give you a shout out, man. Uh, you had some great events at, uh, at your restaurant, the Beltliner, uh, which I've eaten at, which is amazing, by the way. Food was great. Service was great. Oh, thank you. Good to hear. Uh, but you had two amazing fundraisers there. Talk a little bit about those and the kind of the idea behind, behind what you did there. Well, it's you know I've been doing stuff with kids sport. I believe so strongly in the power of sport and what it teaches youngsters. And I shudder to think about kids who want to play sports and who are denied it for financial reasons. So kids sport, I've been doing work with them for over twenty years as an ambassador for them. And um, I have an event called the Pizza Pig Out, which has raised, you know, I think we're close to a million dollars for wow. kids sport over the years and. Um, our 15th annual is this year. You got to come to that. Yeah, yeah. For I w- sure. I'm always on the road when it happens. So okay, gonna, well, I want to try and make it this year. Yeah. What's the date this year? I don't have a date yet. Okay. But um, let me know. It's in October sometime around the flame schedule. Uh, and then, anyway, they just do this charity hot stove. I've wanted to do it for years, and we did one with uh, Brian Burke. Uh, we do it at the Beltliner. It's 100 bucks a ticket, 65 seats. It's sold out in minutes. And uh, you were there, and Brian Burke just right. opened up and. Uh, you know, just having interviewed a million guys over the years, I thought, well, let's do this. Let's introduce these people who I deal with every day to crowds, and I wanted it very interactive. You ask questions. People yep. ask questions. Uh, Brian talked about everything from the death of his son in a car crash to um, uh, to his son being gay to life in the hockey world. He, he he just opened up, and it was a great night. And then we did another one with four, four members of the Calgary Flames when they went to the 2004 Stanley Cup final, which turned this city on its ear. Yep. You had just moved oh, here yeah. then, and you know how chaotic it was. Heaven. And so I wanted to hear from the players' perspective about how nutty that whole run was, because we all have our memories of it. I want to hear theirs. Yeah. And uh, that was a really great interactive, um, turned into quite a booze fest too, but um, <laughs> you know, a good night. So I'm yeah. going to do three or four of those this year. I'm going to do a women's night with Haley Wickenheiser, Cassie Campbell, um, you know, uh, some other Olympians we're going to get. Carol Wynn, who won a gold medal. Yeah, yeah I know Carol. Awesome. I got a good list of, of women who I want to bring. Yep. And then I got, you know, Flames. I want to bring the Flames coach. I want to bring the Flames GM. I want to be very interactive. People ask all the questions they want about their team. Yep. And we raise money for kids sport. Every dime goes to kids sport. So awesome, man. Fun awesome. night. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They, they were, it was such a cool night. Uh, I was at the Brian Burke event, and uh, so casual, so laid back. Just felt like people were having drinks, just talking. Yeah. And he was, and he was just unleashed. It was kind of like you had a question, ask it. And and you're right. It went from zero to ten. It was an amazing, amazing night, man. Thank it was you. So yeah. much fun. So I'm much real fun. proud of that one. Yeah, it I'm was real great. Proud of that, yeah. um, I think so about kids playing sport as well. I think is so important. I mean, people look at the competitive side of it, and Brian talked about you know, the chances of kids making the NHL and how far-fetched it is. Yeah. But just the lessons that you learn. I mean, I played minor soccer growing up through my life, and I played basketball in high school, soccer in university. And I think about the friendships I made. My first time ever on a plane was because I made a team, and now we're yeah. going away to a tournament. Like, staying in a hotel, 
and it, it unlocked doors for me that I didn't have access to before because yeah. I'm learning about failure, overcoming. Um, you know, we're setting goals and we don't meet our goals. What do we do now to kind of reboot? I mean, it was all the lessons that are learned. And I have my friends now who have kids and they're going through it. And they're like, and they weren't necessarily athletic, my, some, of my, some of my friends, but they yeah. see the value of sport oh. for children. And, and I, I don't know if there's a bigger teacher, a greater teacher out there than, no. than, than sport. Dispute resolution, teamwork, how to be a good person, how to be a good winner, loser, uh, you know, physical fitness. Yeah. I mean, that's a big issue in, in the world today. Um, there's just, you know, having something to look forward to every week or every, every second night when you're playing a sport. Yeah. Um, you know, kids that don't get exposed to sports, I can often spot them pretty quickly. I remember I lived with a guy years ago, and we'd, we'd have these crazy fights over foosball. It was the most ridiculous in this. <laughs> And, but but I could tell that he'd never competed in his life because he didn't know how to win. He didn't know how to lose. Right. Um, he did, he they, just there, You can just tell some people who've been there, they yeah. know what it's like to get kicked in the teeth. Not physically. Well, physically too. Yeah, yeah. But physic, you know, emotionally after a, a loss or a win or anyway. Yeah. Sports is my life, and it doesn't have to be everyone's life, but um, it sure can help brighten a lot of lives too. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I uh, I took a lot of parallels from my time playing soccer to now my comedy career where, you know, you, you get to a soccer pitch and you'd walk around and look at the field and just visualize and stuff. And now when I get to venues, before anyone gets there, I'll walk out on the stage by myself and just get a visual cue for it. You get used to playing on the road and delivering in strange environments. Stand-up's the same thing. You're going yeah. to another city, staying in a hotel. Maybe you haven't had the right amount of sleep or you haven't had a chance to eat. You still got to deliver at 8 o'clock or whatever it is. And... Um, yeah, I, I hold a lot of parallels from my sporting life into my stand-up life, and I go, I learned all those lessons playing soccer over the years, you know? Yeah. So I'm gonna, we'll end off on this last question. This got asked to me in a job interview years and years ago, and it really made me think. So here it is. What is a perception that people may have of you and you think the actual opposite is true? Here's an example. People think because I'm a comedian that I'm on all the time, and they go to my wife, oh, he must be hilarious to live with and cracking up. And she's like, oh, yeah, it's a real, real hoot. Um, but you have another side to you. But is there something that you feel like you've heard about yourself over the course of the years, and you went, yeah, I'm, I'm actually not that guy, but I, I can come across that way? As someone who has a, you know, a bit of a public persona as a columnist and as a broadcaster and all that, I, I hear a lot from people who tell me that, you know, there are a lot of people who hate me, and that's fine. Um, but there are a lot of people who tell me they've told their friends that they know me, and they say they're sh- they tell me that they're shocked. Their friends are shocked to hear that I was a good guy. <laughs> now, of course, my friends are going to tell me that they're going to say that they said they defended me. But I guess the thing is, I'd say this: I think a lot of people think I'm just an asshole, and because I have, I have big opinions on a lot of things in sports. Uh, that I'm a jerk, but there's nothing I'd rather do outside of family life than sit down and have beer with people. Right. That's, I, I love, I'm a rum drinker actually. Yeah, so yeah, me too. I, I love, I love having rum sitting around a table like this at original Joe's and just shooting the shit yep. uh, about anything. And, um, you know, I would be, I bet you there's a lot of people out there who think that I'm the biggest asshole in the city, but I bet you if we sat down and had a rum, um, We'd have a great time. Yeah. And so I'm not, I'm, I guess what I'm, I'm not trying to say I'm a great guy. I'm trying to say that I don't think that I'm 
this asshole that a lot of people think I am, which is crazy because <laughs> I'm sure there are people who, who like me too. But, but um, I've had beers with people who, who will say to me, you know, I got to be honest with you. I've been reading you for years or I've read the odd thing from you and I can't, I couldn't stand you. But after drinking with you here tonight, you're, I like you a lot or you're a good guy. There you go. And I'm not trying to toot my own horn, but oh, you no. asked me what the perception is and what the yep. reality is. I think if a lot of these haters had a beer with me, I think we'd get along just fine. Well, it's like anything else, man. I think it's when you get a chance to spend time with someone. I mean, when you're seeing little snippets and cross-sections of people's work or a, a highlight here or there, you don't know that person, you know? And I, and I feel like, especially people who are in the public eye, they get a raw shake quite often because yeah. of that. Because they come across a certain way in a soundbite or whatever. It's like, you don't know anything about that person. No. You know? And people quickly, again, put it in a box quickly, and that, that guy is that person. And now they stay there till they have a run with you and sit down and go, oh, he's actually not that guy. So. Yeah, we're just people, right? Yeah. And Sports is funny that way because the nature of a sports fan is they think they know more than the next guy. Yes. So they'll read my column and go, eh, that doesn't know what he's talking about. That's the beauty of sport, too. Everyone has strong appeal, uh, opinions on something. There's no right or wrong. Right. But um, it does evoke a strong emotional response from people. For sure. When you give your opinion. Yep. And uh, so I think that leads a lot of people to just dismiss you and think that you're an idiot or an asshole. Yeah, exactly. It's not really yeah. the case. Well, man, I can tell you you're not an idiot. Uh, you're a good dude. You've always <laughs> but, been But but he didn't say anything about an asshole. I mean, we've been drinking <laughs> rums for uh, about seven hours. and yeah. uh, But, uh, no, man, I appreciate your time. I know you're a busy dude. And uh, thanks for being on the podcast, Thanks. Man. I appreciate it. Thanks right, for man. having me Cheers, on. Man. It's a lot of fun, man. It's not to be taken lightly. Then you never were. Fingers bleeding, your body aches from the thunder in your heart. So you laid on the line, blindfolded and chalk marked, like a good little soldier. You knew just what you were. Can you give up now? Can you turn this around? Can you keep your heart beating? How do you live when you don't know how? So you laid on the line, blindfolded and chalk marked, like a good little soldier, knew just what you were. Can you?